believe that complacency is the enemy and do everything that we can to put ourselves out of our comfort zone because that's where we know we will grow. Today, I have a really special guest for you guys, my really good friend, Ben Burkhalter. Welcome, Ben. Thanks for having me on, Riley. Stoked to be here. So I'm super excited to have Ben on the podcast today. He is awesome in pretty much every area of life, but he actually opened a restaurant during the middle of COVID, which was a pretty bold move as our governor, Gavin Newsom, is uh, not the best governor to open a restaurant in the state that he's running. So let's dive into that a little bit, Ben. Why did you uh, end up starting a restaurant in the middle of COVID? You know... It was really funny. I was driving home through Ramona last night and I passed by this restaurant in the city block and the sign said, King Newsom has granted us patio seating. <laughs> I moved here to California in 2015 after I dropped out of college and was looking to be an entrepreneur or an inventor. And through a series of fortunate events, I stumbled upon meeting someone, Jeff Fenster, founder of Everbowl. And it was at a time in my life where I recently had learned the power of health and proactivity. So doing things now before you needed them done in order to make sure you didn't need to fix a bigger issue later from not facing it now. So the realization that you can choose to build something before it needs to be there. You can dig your well before you need the water. It was a powerful revelation to me about health. And so I found out about this company being started at Everbowl. I was focused on superfoods based on the fact that you could do different things for your body that would promote health or sickness. And so getting involved with that on the ground floor, I was able to be a part of starting these restaurants and I was able to get the experience and see the entrepreneurial process happen in real life in front of me and be a part of that process. And so later on, I was brought back to San Diego through actually COVID. I would have been in Greenville, South Carolina doing something totally different. So ironically, COVID is the reason why I actually got to open this restaurant in the first place because it brought me back to San Diego. It brought me back to being involved with this company Everbowl. And that is what eventually gave me the opportunity to open up my own franchise restaurant. So that's funny. So you essentially said with proactivity, dig your well before you actually need the water. So with applying that to business, you saw that it's probably not the best time to open a restaurant, but you said that means I need to open it. Exactly. So I think the reason why I got the opportunity, like I said, COVID brought me back here, but the reason why I was able to get the shot was because everyone else was thinking, oh no, everything's shutting down. There's nothing predictable. There's nothing stable. Who knows? Restaurants are going out of business right now. Why would I open a new one? That's not, you know, smart. I was like, perfect. Okay. So I'll have maybe a rough or challenging for six months, first year. And then now I'm in a position no one else is in because everyone else is either running away or struggling to just get by. And I've just planted seeds, planted seeds, planted seeds, got something rolling, got the momentum. Then when everything's open, now I'm full steam ahead. Love that. I love your mindset and we'll, we'll dive deeper into your mindset too. And I mean, right before this podcast, we were talking about how to bring your potential to life and how you you're living your life in that way. You want to kind of go deeper into that? Yeah. So how to bring your potential to life. First, you have to look at why would you want to bring your potential to life? I think there's an innate part of our being that tells and is programmed to want to seek the highest and like greatest expression of itself. And so I think recognizing that there's an innate calling to want to realize your full potential and accepting that in a sense, you never will, but that it's how close can you get to it. If you accept that in a sense, warrior's call of like, hey, can you show up and do the things necessary to take you one step further today in order to become the next greatest version of yourself? 
to give you the platform you need to become the next greatest version of yourself. You know, how to do that might be a whole nother topic, but. Yeah, I love that. And one of my favorite quotes actually is by David Data. And it's a man's greatest burden is unrealized potential. I mean, if you think about it, if you have that unrealized potential, then you're really accepting mediocrity. How miserable would you be to say that, oh, I guess I'm just not made to, to be what I thought I was. How terrible would your life be if, Sorry to people out there listening. Or or if you are, not for long. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'll feel absolutely drained, absolutely miserable. You're going to beat yourself up. And I think you can use that as a fuel to do something different. And I think a lot of the reason that the state, the mindset and the state of being most people are in is because they haven't yet embraced that call. They haven't yet looked into where their potential lies and they haven't done the digging they haven't done the daily digging to bring it to life and to even get started and so there's so much like inner like anxiety and tension and all these things because they they know something is way off and they keep just i can't look at it i can't look at it they know they're made for something greater but they don't want to leave their area of comfort in order to see if they can get to that point they don't even want to a lot of people have not looked at it long enough to where they don't even want to know that it's there because knowing that it was possible all along and knowing that they've been avoiding it is a weight some people don't even want to bear. Yeah. So going along with that topic, how do we realize our potential and then how do we actually bring that potential to life? By realizing that you don't have to get to the end result to be happy with being in the process, knowing that whenever you finally realize you have a calling, you have a gift, you have potential. And just the starting itself, just doing something, moving in that direction will light your soul on fire and you'll feel so grateful and so happy that knowing that it can be worth the pain of looking at it and looking at the things you haven't done yet. So starting small can feel so liberating and feel like you're finally on the right path that you know you're here for. And I would would add on to that. It's not just about doing that, but who are you surrounded with that is supporting your intention to evolve? You know, who's in your environment that's going to support that? If you're in an environment of a bunch of people that are saying, oh, don't don't give this up, this comfort up to go do that stuff. That's stupid. What if this? What if that? What if this? What if that? But if you're surrounded by the right people who are encouraging you, then it's going to be a lot harder to give up on that dream, and they're going to not allow you to and build you up. And so going along the line with that and building relationships with right people around you to help you grow when i was talking to you about what foundational principles have helped you get your business to the level it's at one of them was growing your business through relationships let's talk a little bit about that so (laughs) you know it's not just one part of business it's at the end of the day it's the only part of business Mm -hmm. because whatever you're creating whatever you're selling whatever you're offering at the end of the day is something to be used or experienced by another human. And when you realize that, you realize that all of it is built on relational transactions and all of it is built on the how much connection you have with that person to be able to receive that thing. And everything at the end of the day is used to create value or create an experience for someone for them to better their life. So if you think it's about anything else other than helping that person have that experience, then you're not looking through the lens of what it's really there for. 100%. I mean, you can see all these huge companies that have kind of taken advantage of that model too. I mean, Chick-fil-A for one, 
you know, my pleasure, you know, always taking care of their clients and their customers to that level that's just outstanding. You know, 10 out of 10 is the only thing we accept with our customers and how well they've done just through that month. And did you, did you know that Chick-fil-A was the first job I ever had? Was it really? Yeah. That's hilarious. So yeah. it's probably helps build up that mindset then. Yeah. 16. I was at a church youth group and the uh, son that I was in the youth group with, his dad led a led an in-home uh, Wednesday night game night ministry. That's awesome. And led to a conversation with him, told him he needed a job. I think I started the next week. <laughs> That's awesome. And I, I like how you said that when I started asking you about relationships, you said, is there any other way to build your business? I mean, that's all you're doing. And Sharon Sarata, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he always talks about the only thing you need to do to run a successful business is find out who you want to serve, who do you want to be a hero to, and then serve them, right? All you have to do is find out who do you want to be a hero to and then be a hero to them, provide them exactly what they need, and you'll be a successful business owner. I don't think you should have a business until you've created a product or service that you know is worthy of introducing to someone. So it's like a prerequisite. And then once you have that, you're, I think your product or your business should be so good that you should just you should know that the only thing you need is for someone to experience it once. Oh, yeah, 100%. So if you have that, then you're just like, awesome, let's go make some friends. Because I know I have something of value to give. I just have to meet the person that needs it. I feel like a lot of people have barriers to selling because when they think of selling, they think of the sleazy car salesman, right? Yeah. But when you have a product or a service that you know is the best in the industry and that is going to help them, then you kind of have to think, well, what what if I don't sell this to them? If I don't sell this to them, they're probably going to go with a worse product or a worse service. Therefore, I'm morally responsible to sell this to them to help them. Absolutely. Yeah, a, meta- a metaphor just came to mind. I was like, imagine your personal trainer and someone's way out of shape. They don't like how they, they don't like how they feel. They don't like how they look. Paid you a lot of money. They're like, dude, just help me do whatever it takes in order to get to the certain level I want to be at. And you know, that's almost like the whole world right now. The whole world is like, you're, you're their, you're their coach, you're their trainer, and they're begging you to get them to do the things they know they need to do that they haven't been able to get themselves to do either because it's too hard or it's too foreign or it's too complicated. And the world's asking you without asking you. It's always implicitly there. There's something you have for me that's going to make my life better. I need you to show me what that is in such a way that it compels me beyond a level I could compel myself. It's like our, it's our responsibility to take the things we have and present them in a way that, yes, convincing. Yes, it's like going to spur people to action in order to do the thing that's going to make them better. That's precipitated by having something worthy enough to give them. So it's not forcing something that's, you know, not in alignment for their highest growth. But when you do have that thing, it comes with responsibility. Definitely. So that was the first pillar you talked about is just growing your business through relationships, which I think is so powerful. I mean, when you go all in on relationships, you're going to grow because you're building relationships with all these people. And that's honestly probably the fastest way to grow a business is just by taking care of every client and customer the best that you can and growing that because it's going to spread like wildfire. Then the second pillar you talked about that helped you get to where you're at is just, just faith that doing the right things, doing things the right way will work out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned earlier, life is every day offering you a chance to either take the immediate gratification or take the delayed gratification. So there's always there's always a point in your day where you can do the thing that is uncomfortable or difficult or doesn't really give you any return right now uh, in favor of the thing that is really easy and gives you something right now, but maybe takes from you later. 
and bring certainly circle me back around again the last part of it you just said yeah so dis discipline is do is the choice of doing what you want most versus the thing you want now yeah the, the first question you originally asked me yeah so you're talking about how faith is doing all the is doing the things the right way and or sorry that yeah yeah, yeah. okay faith yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing things the right way will work out. So, so similar to what I was referencing with like, there's always a decision point. There's that. There's always something that's going to come up that's going to allow you to be of greater service. That's going to allow you to express yourself in a in a higher, greater way. And it's it's going to feel a little bit like that immediate gratification or delayed gratification. As in, if you make this choice you don't know exactly what's going to happen or you don't know exactly how it could work out or how it could benefit you. But every time I found that I make the choice that allows for the greater opportunity of service or the say a choice of, hey, I have $500 and I could either take this and go buy a toy I want or I can put this into giving to something I believe in or funding the next project that's going to reach people or whatever. And it's like... Ah, uh, like I might not get that back or, you know, it might not do anything for them or whatever. And I, I'm for sure going to miss out on this other thing that's right in front of me that I could just have right now. But it's like every time you reach out on faith for like, I'm doing something to be of service to everyone that I've always found you get, you get back even when you don't really are, aren't trying to or don't want to, you get back more than what you ever could have gotten whenever you're trying to just directly go after the thing you want. Yes. And that's probably more more rewarding than any money you can earn, right? Is being able to give to the people that you want to support. And that's more motivating to you. It gives you another reason to want to go make more money so you can help support those businesses. And yeah. So I, when I'm, yeah, when I'm saying faith, I'm saying every time I get the chance, if I have an opportunity to do something for the greater good of everyone, at the potential cost or expense or pain of my current self, then I'm going to say yes to that. Because one, I just believe in, I believe in being a service. And two, through repeated history, I've also found out that in the end, that benefits me the most as well. So really, you could say it's selfish or, or not, because it's like ultimately me not trying to get mine gets me the most, yeah. but I don't need it to. And like, I only discover that through not trying to discover that. I just discovered it through like, Hey, my heart says, I want to help these people. Have you ever read the book, The Go-Giver? I love it. Read the whole series. Interesting. So speaking of that, let's kind of go into the next topic. And that's your top three books that you've read. What are the top three books that you've read that have helped you develop yourself, your company, your life to the point that it's at now? As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. What is that one about? That one... If we were to get into the topic of talking about your life as a garden, the thought behind that is everything you have in your life once started as a seed from a thought. And it fully dives into the power of a small seed, a small seed in the positive or small seed in the negative, because nothing, nothing starts out like it ends up. It's always, you could say, a slippery, a slippery slope in a positive or negative direction. And the foundation for all of those things is the, is the seeds of thought. And when you realize that, then you cultivate and create and guard every seed you plant in your mind to the highest level because you know that that seed will inevitably grow 
And that once it grows to a certain point, it takes on a form of its own that becomes nearly unstoppable. And we have the choice to plant or to pull the seeds we do or don't want to come to fruition. So that's what that book in a nutshell. Interesting. So essentially what I'm hearing is there's weeds and there's good plants that you will be able to sow essentially. And you need to make sure you're feeding the good plants and killing the bad ones. Essentially. That's, that's absolutely one. So can you give me? There's there's one, for instance, that says there are no limitations to the mind except those which we conceive and believe. And another one by Bruce Lee, to continue the frame, another one by Bruce Lee, it says there are no limits. There's only plateaus and we must not stay there. So I took that seed long ago and have just entrenched it in my soul of there are no limitations. There are only plateaus and we must not stay there. We must go beyond them. So at whatever level I've ever made it to, whatever level I'm at, even if it stays there for a long time, the, the seed that's taken root is like, there's always something beyond it. If you keep pushing long enough, if you keep showing up for it long enough, if you keep watering it enough, it blossoms into something higher, something newer. And that's super interesting. So you're saying, you're saying there is no limits, but people can say that without really thinking that, right? So how do you think it? You do it, right? You do actions. Yeah. And you're actually doing something right now where you're doing something every single day that scares you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that actually doing the action will help you develop the mindset that I can do anything because you're doing what scares you the freaking most every day, right? Yeah. You know, you know what scares me today? What? Doing this. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) It's my first podcast. Right on. So, um, yeah, that was your, your first book. What about the next two? The next two, the war of art by Stephen Pressfield. Not to be confused with the art of war. Not to be confused. So that one talks about the incessant constant for the rest of your life battle the higher self and the lower self, which is there's a thing you could do today that you know you should do. And whether you will or you won't is predicated upon if resistance beats you, which is the internal force holding you back from starting the thing you know you should do, or if you beat resistance. And that's that's that book, which is saying the amateur of life is not going to show up against that resistance every day. The professional will show up seven days a week and show up for whatever resistance comes his way and know that within that resistance lies the gift that he can cultivate and share. Interesting. Bedros Kulian, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he says something that's very similar to that, which is essentially you have an inner bitch. You have a bitch inside of you, right? And you have a beast inside of you. Every time you feed that inner bitch, grows bigger, and it's going to show up more. Every time you feed the inner beast, that's what's going to show up more. So every day you're going to run into a ton of decisions that both of them are talking to you kind of like an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other and you got to start one and feed the other and then it'll become the more dominant one become your default state and the state you're in most often becomes your default state so when you first wake up in the morning you have an opportunity to hit that snooze then your bitch is saying oh hit it you know get 10 more 10 minutes of sleep 10 more minutes isn't going to do anything you'll you'll catch up you know just 10 minutes yep well then her beast is saying fuck that get up right now you know don't don't, if you start making excuses at the beginning of the day, that's going to ruin your entire day, right? And then you get up, you do breakfast. Do you want a chocolate chip waffle or... <laughs> you know, hmm, the inner bitch. Oh, that chocolate chip waffle sounds pretty good. You know, you'll eat a healthier lunch. And your beast is saying, no, F that, because when you get to lunch, then you've already had that sugar exposure. You're going to crave it even more. And every day is filled with these decisions that we have to make. Do you want to say okay and give in to your inner bitch yep or do you want to go with the inner beast and become that 
higher level person that you want to become. Yeah. And no, no one decision will make or break you. And, but you realize that each decision has a high likelihood of affecting the next chain of decisions. And even if you don't feel like you need to take each one seriously, you can ponder the question, well, hey, what if I did just decide to do the hardest slash best thing at every moment? What if I just went with it and saw where it led? Because even if I could get by by making some good decisions and some mediocre decisions and some poor decisions and no one would really know and no one might really care and no one would really find out, what would what would that what would that version of myself or what would that reality look like if I was just like, every single time I was just like you know what I'm gonna just do the hard thing you know what I'm gonna just play the long game you know what I don't need the I don't need the pleasure right now I don't need the reward right now and you just made it a game of like how how long could I do that how hard could I do that how often could I do that and just like more out of curiosity than out of like neediness to like get everything right it's just like what am I what could I do yeah it sounds like you're gamifying the process yeah. Yeah. And anytime you can gamify life in any way, I'm a big fan of doing it. Cause I mean, I have ADD. I'm all over the place. If I could like create a game anywhere in my life, in my business, then I'm going to do it. So it's not boring for me. It's like, oh, can I beat these numbers? See what I can get today, you know? And when you do that, it actually makes it fun and less serious. And if you're living in seriousness your whole life, seriousness is the opposite of having fun. And I think you should live life like the dance that it is, right? I think so. I got a question for you. So from the book, which I'll actually, will be an answer. It'll be an answer to your question and a question for you. So answer number three, Atomic Habits, James Clear. And in that book, and that book is just phenomenal. In that book, he talks about how to win the game. And the game is different for everyone. But what he talks about is you shouldn't be playing a game that you're not pre-designed or predestined in the sense to win. And if if you're not, if 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 who you are isn't fitting the environment that you're playing within that that doesn't define or, or measure how good you are. It's just saying, hey, this thing you're doing right now wasn't built for you. It was built for someone else. So my question to you is with your monkey with your monkey self, monkey brain, are you playing a game right now that is built for you to win or or set up for you to constantly battle against something that isn't in a sense your battle? And if so, what game could you make up or create that is perfectly adapted for who you are? Interesting. Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say that most of my life, I was playing a game that I wasn't built for. You know, growing up with ADD, dyslexia, dysgraphia, can't read, write, or focus. School sucked. Sitting in a classroom sucked. And what made it even worse is the teachers judge you hardcore on everything. So it made me learn to hate writing hate reading for the reps everybody else would do it faster would do it better would get celebrated for doing well and getting a's well i would work my ass off take longer be slower have a really hard time doing it just to get a c and to get yelled at by the teacher right and so it really puts you in this place where you feel like you're not good enough and through that i i mean i hated sitting still or doing any task that's just like slow and meticulous you know i'm more of like let me go talk to somebody let me go if i can get out and play with people go do more physical activity mm-hmm. that was definitely more of my forte and so i mean first job within college was actually my second job out of or within college and then also out of college was a strategic data analyst which is crunching excel spreadsheets for some days 12 hours right 
and that was miserable and that's actually when i got to 297 pounds dang I quit right before 300 um but yeah that that definitely sucked and you can see that physically as well yeah constantly, you know i'm stressed out what do i do to feed it literally food right and so i'd say lots of points in where in my young life i have definitely not done what i've enjoyed and what i'm passionate at at all with the mindset of well it sucks but i guess i have to do this mm-hmm. where recently i'm trying to delegate automate and eliminate everything in my life that i dislike doing however there are some things that are so important that i dislike that i still need to do but if i can get rid of 99 percent of the things that i dislike that i can outsource somebody else can do for cheaper and going to like the 80 20 rule is it is it part of the 20 percent that brings me 80 percent of the results if it is then i should probably be doing it if it's not i should outsource all the rest of that and focus on what makes me money? What is the opportunity cost? Can I give somebody else this task and pay him $10 to do it and focus on what makes me 500 an hour? Mm-hmm. If I can, it would be stupid to be doing that. I'm losing $490 then by doing that task. And a lot of people don't think that way. Yeah. I would say now I am more so focused on what I love to do. Yeah. Which is why I launched a podcast, which is why I'm doing more social media, which is why... I'm doing more sales and in-person stuff and more overseeing the entire project and management and building up teams in that way. Because that's where I really thrive. That's where I am the best leader and the best fit for everything. Where if I'm on the back end doing all this boring stuff, could never be a lawyer, could never be an accountant, could never be a data analyst for that long of a time, you know, because I just hated it. So now I am learning to outsource all that and be in the places where I can be that needle mover. Yeah. So you'll have to be like creating as things come up in a sense almost. Like you like to be like with it as it's there, like not needing to like almost plan it or set it up. But it's like whenever that opportunity is there, whenever that thing is there, it's like that's when you come alive is when you can jump in in the mess almost and like yes. dance with it. Yes, 100%. And that looks atomic habits. Yeah, atomic habits. So I would ask you the same question from that. How did you apply that to your life? Well, what was cool was that I found this book after long after starting my ninja warrior journey ninja warrior journey let's talk about that yeah <laughs> that's the whole thing to dive into it though you know i I, th- I think the things we enjoy the most are the things we're we're good at as simple as that sounds which is yeah. why which is why whenever we come up against weaknesses we avoid them a lot of time and we just keep focusing on the strengths because the strengths feel good every time we do the thing that's in our wheelhouse we get a kick out of it yeah and yeah, it's, but to be honest, I, I feel that setup of Ninja Warrior ever since I first laid eyes on it was like built for me. Like I was like my my mind, my body, my body length, my height, my weight, my like my mentality, like the things that I love. It's like this thing's built for me, man. Like how can I not do it? And we could, I mean, we could dive into any part of Ninja Warrior if you want. It's it's something that definitely lights me up. Do it. So, um, how did you get involved with that? So, I found out about it upon moving to California after I dropped out of school at 18. And my older brother, Joel, is who I moved in with in San Diego. And he had just gotten out of the Air Force. And he had just gotten accepted to do the Los Angeles Ninja Warrior military special. So, right after he got accepted, I move out here. He starts training for Ninja Warrior. So, I see him doing all this crazy stuff at the gym. 
and I, I I don't really know what it is. I've never seen the show or whatever, but I'm like, hey, you're doing this, so I can do that. So I hop in with him on training and then show up uh, when he finally competes in Los Angeles and I see the course in, in person and it's just this giant adult playground. It's just like, and I instantly was just like, yes. <laughs> but I was 18 at the time and you had to be 21 to compete back whenever I found out about it. So I was like, okay, cool. I got time to train. And that's kind of the, that was the, the thing that got me uh, to dive into it. So how'd you do? Pretty good. So it took me three years, three years of training. So I would go to my other older brother when he would compete, Nate, No Limits Nate. And the first time I got to touch an obstacle course was Oklahoma City whenever I tested it, uh, immediately fell. So one thing to know about Ninja Warrior is however hard you think it is, it's probably at least twice as hard, if not, mm. if yeah. not four or five times harder. And the people that make it look easy are pretty gifted not just gifted they've they've you know they put in the reps so even someone that's had mad respect for the course and was trained for it and was like oh yeah i'm fully capable first time touching the obstacles just total wipeouts yeah and and most of the times after too but i had moderate success when i finally got to got to compete so it was the day after i turned 21 i want to say between 12 and 2 a.m i think it was like somewhere around 2 a.m in denver about 44 degrees but at that point, you're not you're not feeling the the weather at all. You just got the adrenaline pumping. So I made it to the Denver City Finals um, first night. I think I was 17 out of like 110. So wow. pretty good. Yeah, um, but I didn't I didn't make it up the wall, which was definitely my goal. So I, I did not feel I like didn't even feel qualified to call myself a ninja warrior at that point. When other people that you know me and my brother look back on it, there's people that fell on the first step and they would sit there and talk about how they were a ninja warrior. And I like, I made it to the city finals and made it almost to the fifth obstacle. And I felt like I didn't, hadn't even done something to even mention, you know, cause I was, I was pretty disappointed in myself that I didn't beat the whole thing, but that came with the realization that it was just a lot harder than I anticipated when I was young. 100%. Well, yeah. People go into stuff with unmeasured optimism and they figure out how hard it is. And then they go to a, a place of, pessimism really quick which is funny but you said that when you first started it you failed mm -hmm. yeah you kept on oh yeah and the funny thing is you actually said the first time was all wipeouts my dad was actually on the show wipeout, the show wipeout. <laughs> yeah i've heard of the show wipeout he's on the show wipeout and actually ended up winning the whole thing which is kind of a similar thing to ninja warrior but it's that's awesome athletes. they're a bunch of yeah <laughs> but people just looked at her um ended up winning that and win some money which is really cool but your dad um, did yeah that's cool <laughs> yeah, that show. but yeah going off of that i mean the first time you failed it yet you kept going yeah right yeah so, so how has a failure set you up it could be in, in any realm of life but how has one failure that you've had set you up for success in the future okay so Great question. Yeah, the failure humbled me and excited me. So whenever that happened to me, the the vision I had of myself, the vision I had of succeeding, totally just got, you know, stomped on. And I could have got frustrated, which I was a little frustrated, but really I was just like, oh, there's so much more I could train for. There's so much more I could do to crush this. And that's what it takes. And at the end of the day, like that was the beauty of Ninja Warrior is that they gave you something so hard and then showed you at the end of the day that it was, it was possible because someone did it. And it was like, oh, 
it's possible, but it's going to take 10 or a hundred fold what I thought it would take. And that is that like, that is that process that really tests you and helps you become who you are and having something big enough and hard enough to go towards was just so like joyful in a sense of like, cool, there's something I'm not capable of yet, but I could get there. And like, it's so fun to me. And so, yeah, if anything, every time I fail, I get, I just get way more excited. I mean, that's a superpower. That's a superpower to say, I, I, this is harder than I thought it was. Cool. Yeah. I have something to accomplish. Yeah. 99% of the people would say, man, this is harder than I thought it was. Guess it's not for me. <laughs> Bro, it turns me on. Yeah. It's freaking, there's like, there's almost nothing that gets me more excited. So how do you develop that mindset? How do develop that mindset? There absolutely is. I can't, I can't pinpoint who it'd be. I think it'd be an overall ideal, almost in the collective or things you would just get glimpses of different people exploring. I don't have a certain time where I remember someone like, like, Hey, like, no, you can do this. Or it was, it was just, it's part innate and part, I think cultural almost of like an idea that I just chose to like grab onto and like, be like, what if it was real? There's a part of me that just feels like everything is set up. Everything is set up in my favor and and necessary for me to become the greatest version of myself. So it's like every challenge and everything, yeah, it's developed over time. It's a little bit self-crafted and, and pulled from a lot of different sources. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there has to be somewhere where you develop that. I mean, 99% of people seriously would give up, but look at, look at uh, New Year's resolutions. Yeah. How long was last? Because they're like, oh, I'm probably going to lose shape. I'm motivated. <laughs> and they're like, well, shit. Oh, uh, well, I really want a donut. I have to eat a salad. It's rabbit starvation, you know? Yeah. I don't want to do that. Okay. So, so I got involved in this and you said, this is going to be harder than I thought. And I'm excited to go into this and work for this. Is there an area in your life earlier that you ran into that led to the same mindset of, oh, this is hard, but if I push through, I know I, I can accomplish it. And you kind of build up that muscle. Ninja Warrior was where I built the muscle. It was. It was, it was my first real test. It's awesome. Yeah. It was the, the, the first real test was just moving out to California. That was my first, that was my first breakaway. And that was my first breakthrough was I, when I moved to California at 18 and I had it's like $650 to my name. And that was to cover rent and gas on the way. Yeah. Rent for the first month, gas out there. And the promise I made to myself was I'll make it, quote unquote, in California and I'll die trying. Wow. Yeah. Like I wanted it that bad where like I was like, this will coming out here will define me and I will do everything to. And when I say make it, I mean, I've done something where I'm capable of where I like make, make it as an I've become a man. I become someone that's capable of seeing anything through of being responsible with that. And of like, my yes is my yes. My no is my no. And like, I know who I am and anything, anything cheapening out or anything short of that. I was like, that won't cut it. So I'll either come out here and do what I set out to do or I'll starve or go homeless or I don't care. And that was the first one, but Ninja Warrior was the second one. Where developed all these insane mindsets that, ton of successful people have the resilience mindset the discipline mindset the ability to burn burn the boats yes yeah, I mean, they're gonna die yes on an island, or i'm gonna 
Yes. He developed all, developed all these awesome mindsets. And before we started the show, you were talking to me about journaling. Yeah. How you love to journal. Do you think that jur- journaling kind of helped you reflect on what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, and helped you develop these certain mindsets? Yes. Journaling helps me bring my high-level ideals or spiritual beliefs into daily application. That, you know, part of, I would say part of that mindset or part of that, like, hunger or excitement every time I, like, fail is, like, I almost spiritually believe, like, we're boundless, like, we're limitless, like, there, there, isn't, there isn't an end point. And I can take that imagination of, like, that thing, even if I don't always, even if I don't always feel it, I'm, like, I can imagine that I could always grow a little more, or I, I could always do a little more, or I could always become a little more. And then I'll, I'll, I'll take all those ideas and I just write them down. And then I look at them, I read them, and every time I read them, I want to become more like it. But journaling has helped in so many facets. So do you reflect on your failures and, and kind of say, okay, well, what could I have done different here? Like, what is the main purpose of journaling? What is your main strategy? The, the main, my main strategy, I would say my main successful strategy with journaling, the thing that like uh, I've seen time and time again work, is to write out the things that the best version of myself would be doing and then act in accordance with them. So whenever I'm like, Whenever I'm not the most confident person, whenever I'm not able to buy the things I want, whenever I'm not able to live and speak and act how I want, I write out all the things that I would be doing, all the things I could be doing, and then I read them, and then I imagine myself in that state, and then... Visualization? Yeah. Writing, writing it helps make it more grounded. It helps make it more like, oh, yeah, I can see myself being there. Like, I can see myself doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gives you uh, kind of a something to tie yourself to like yeah. you know the next grounded in like version of yourself 100% and I just started getting into journaling one of the reasons being Warren Buffett I don't know if you've heard of him he's kind of a smart guy you know I think, oh, I, I think I've heard of him <laughs> and he said you never truly understand something until you write it down huh and I was like well he's got a little bit more money than I am a little bit more than I have a little bit more success than I have I guess I'll do this and hated writing before I can tell you how many essays that were maybe two paragraphs, three paragraphs long. It took me four hours to write and three of them were just crying. <laughs> That's how much I literally hated writing. And so there's definitely barriers there. I got I got I got a similar one to throw at you. Yeah. I got recently from Tom Billio. Because we have so much going on in our mind. If we want to get better sleep, we got to stop being all scattered brain and put that down on paper. When we take it from our brain and write it down on paper, Mm -hmm. it allows it to be on the paper and out of our head so we can rest. Write down my to-do list, then I'll write down what did I do really well today? Mm -hmm. What can I do better today? And then you're getting 1% better every day which also helps when you're reflecting on what you did. And so you're not just walking through life, just doing things, doing things, doing things, doing things, but you're reflecting. And unless you're getting feedback, you can't grow. I talk about that with a lot of different skills we try to develop. If you're bowling, but there's a knee-high curtain blocking the result, you don't know if you did well or not. You don't know how to, you don't know how to course correct. Mm-hmm. And so when we journal and reflect on what we've done we can see we can 
look over it and say, well, I did this really well. But honestly, that conversation I had with Jim, I was probably a little little bit too harsh on him. How can I do that better and become a better leader, right? But what, what was the Tom Bilyeu? He says, you don't know. He basically said, you don't know how much you don't know something until you try to teach it to someone else. <laughs> 100%. What's really interesting about that is uh, medical students are required to do SDT, see, do, teach. Okay. Where they have to learn it, they see it, then they have to do it, perform it. Okay. And then they have to teach it to somebody else. The reason they have to do that is because psychology tells us when we do it in, in that order too, it will install it into our brain into our conscious and subconscious deeper than anything else. And so that's how we get to know it the best. And that's why all these coaches, you know, that are actually coaching know the subject or whatever they're coaching a lot better than even the experts in that industry do because they're teaching it to other people, mm. which allows them to see it from different angles and understand it better than anybody else. Simplify it, put yeah. it into concise terms, all that. Yeah. That makes me just that makes me just be like, man. If you wanted one answer why our education system is broken, there it is. Mm. The people learning aren't doing while they're, as they're learning. 100%. And they're not even, a lot of times they're not even doing it. They're just seeing it. They're missing the second two steps. Yeah. They're not doing or teaching. And they're not even seeing it in person. They're just seeing a. Yeah, a lot of times they don't even use the first step. Right? <laughs> you're just hearing. You're just, you're, all you're doing is hearing. You're just I, hearing. I know, me in the back of accounting class are just on my laptop <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Hammond, if you're watching. If you're listening to <laughs> uh, well, right on, dude. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I know that we had a lot of really good conversations here. Um, where can the audience find you if they want to get to know you better? i definitely the most active on Instagram right now. So my full name is Benjamin. My Instagram is bjammin. I, I created that little motto for myself a long time ago. Always be jamming, which means just always like always be in the flow, always be an expansive state. So anyways, B Jammin, B E J A M M I N underscore. And that's where I'll post a lot of stories, post content, probably post something from here and, uh, get engaged and involved with people. I love, I love direct conversations, messages, voice messages, videos. I love talking to people. So right on. Um, that'll all be in the, included in the show notes as well. So you guys can find his Instagram. And where can they support you? Where can they support me? Currently, I'm operating Everbowl Ranch Bernardo. So I would absolutely be thrilled if you're able to stop in. Ranch Bernardo, if you don't know, is in North County, San Diego, right next to Poway. Address 15721 Bernardo Heights Parkway. Come see us. Come check us out. Come get some samples. Come get a bowl. And yeah, that'd be awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of The Hungry Few. I know that we provided a ton of value and we would love any feedback that you have for us and love if you would be kind enough to go write a review. Always take in feedback and anything that you guys want us to talk about, any guests that you want us to have on. So thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Hungry Few and we will see you next time.